Go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. If you're using a pew Bible, it's going to be on page 1025, 1025-1025. PJ talked about the unintentional series on glory, and he preached two weeks ago on doing everything to the glory of God. So I decided to leapfrog him and preach on suffering and the glory of God. So we'll begin where I preached three weeks ago, in chapter 3, verse 7. And if this is the first time that you're using a Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers are going to be the verse numbers. So we're going to go back one chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to read it all the way to chapter 4, um, to the end of that chapter, so we can get a full picture of what Paul is saying, and what God is speaking to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. So again, starting with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, which says this, Now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ." Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who, who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. 
Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up, Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Lord, we praise you for this treasure. What magnificent radiance comes from all that you are. How could we see God? We are completely blind and capable creatures. We can't see your glory. We can't comprehend the glory of your word on our own. We are useless. We are helpless. We are blind. Unless you come and help us. So we ask God that your spirit would come. Unveil our eyes to see magnificent things. In your word. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen. The voice of the martyrs gives this account of a Christian in Omura, Japan in 1622. Who wrote this following letter in prison. Oh, if you taste the delights with which God fills the souls of those who serve him. Suffer for him. How would you condemn all that the world would promise? I now begin to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, since for his love I am in prison, where I suffer much. But I assure you that when I am fainting with hunger, God has fortified me by his sweet consolations, so that I have looked upon myself as well repaid for his service, And though I were yet to pass many years in prison, the time would appear short. 
through the extreme desire which I feel of suffering for him, who even here so repays our labors. Besides other sickness, I've been afflicted with a continual fever for a hundred days without any remedies or proper nourishment. Yet all this time my heart was so full of joy that it seemed to me too narrow to contain it. I have never felt any equal to it and thought myself at the gates of paradise. Later, when he heard that he would be burned alive, he overflowed with joy. He constantly expressed his gratitude to God for which he felt himself unworthy of, dying as a martyr for Jesus. And soon afterwards, he did. How in the world could this martyr be so happy? How do we enjoy God in the midst of our suffering? The pains were legitimate. Fainting from hunger is no joke. And yet he praised God for his affliction. As of standing at the gates of paradise. Many of us have suffered. We endure many trials and tribulations. Pains, even persecutions for following Jesus. How do we enjoy God? In the midst of our suffering. How do we glorify God in our suffering? Paul answers this question in 2 Corinthians 4. So this is the main idea. Don't give up in the midst of suffering. Don't give up in the midst of suffering. And the way that we do that is by focusing on what is unseen. By Focusing on what is unseen. So what we're going to go over today are three ways or three truths, three reasons to lift our eyes to see what God is doing in the unseen, in the midst of our affliction. Three truths. Firstly, God sustains you. God sustains you. Secondly, suffering displays the power of Christ. Suffering displays the power of Christ. And thirdly, suffering is for your benefit. Suffering is for your benefit. First reason why we shouldn't give up in the midst of suffering, because God sustains you. Verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We read earlier in this chapter about the magnificent glory of God. His infinite radiance of his magnificent perfections being displayed to the whole world. And Paul is saying that this extraordinary treasure, this blazing treasure... His radiant treasure is being stored in jars. God stores his glory, his magnificent glory in brittle clay 
jars. Brittle clay jars. Why does he do this? So that the power of God is shown. He elaborates in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. These brittle clay jars that would crumble at dropping them at the floor are being pummeled by the jackhammer of this world and yet still remains. They endure in the midst of affliction. They stand firm. They stay in place. They do not crush. We as Christians maintain our hope despite not knowing the exact details and means to how things may work out. We are persecuted, but we are not left. In fact, we are sharing in the sufferings of our Savior. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are sustained by the supernatural power of God. Now let's think about this for a moment. There is nothing inherently in the brittle clay jars themselves that would enable them to withstand the forces of this world. Right? There's nothing inherent to those clay, clay jars that enables them to stand. I'm house-sitting for my godmother, and she has those little um, glass statues of those holy children with wings that are praying to God. Now, if I took one of those with my hand and pelted it against the wall, it probably wouldn't look the same. And what Paul is saying here is that you take those figures and you crush them and they will still maintain its figure. If we could have done this on our own, then God doesn't really have anything to do with our endurance, does he? If we could somehow withstand the forces of this world by our own character by our own merit, by our own steadfastness, then God doesn't really have any part to do with it, does he? We have everything to do with it. If these clay jars are able to stand by themselves, then we display our own greatness, not God's. The solution when we endure trials, is not to become stronger. Getting knocked down and getting back up doesn't just give you endurance for yourself. Suffering isn't for the purpose of self-improvement. The solution is not to become stronger, to try to make our walls less fragile, or to tape pillows to our sides. Our confidence is not in Ourselves. What protects us is not ourselves, not the jar itself, but what the jar holds, the treasure that it holds, the glory of God enables the jar to withstand the blows of the world. 
The jar doesn't get to take any credit for it. Withstanding, suffering, and trials doesn't give you any piety points in heaven. Rather, your ability to withstand by the power of God, by the glory of God, displays his glory to the world. Isaiah 42, 3 describes it this way, that he will not let a bruised reed break, or he will not let a smoldering wick go out. Now imagine this reed, mangled, dangling by a fiber. There's nothing inherent to that reed that enables it not to break. Rather, it's the gentle hands of a loving father that cares for it, that sustains it. That holds it. And it's those hands that hold you and sustain you. If you try to withstand the pressure on your own strength, you will crumble. You will perish. You'll feel despair. You'll feel abandoned. You'll feel destroyed. But by the power of God, we can endure. God in his tenderness cares for you. And he enables you. He empowers you by his spirit to withstand the pressures of suffering. If you're not a Christian, I'd like to ask you. Well, first of all, thank you for being with us. I'd like to ask you this morning. What are you willing to give up everything for? What's your hope in your suffering? In your trials, what do you look to for protection, for endurance? And will those things be able to do the same as God for you? They may be good things, but they won't be able to satisfy. Many members of our church have undergone immense suffering in this life. God has sustained you. And he will continue to sustain you. Don't feel like you need to carry this weight by yourself. Don't try to be a strong jar. Trust God. Trust him. This also means that you don't sugarcoat what's happening to you. These jars are not enduring nothing. They endure severe affliction. Intense persecution. Don't sugarcoat it. Acknowledge it. And let's rejoice in the work of Christ together as we cry together, as we hug each other, and as we grow to trust this Lord. That's the first reason. Because God sustains you. Second reason. Because suffering displays the power of Christ. Because suffering displays the power of Christ. Verse 10. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. When you share in the death of Christ, you also share in his life. In fact, his life, this glory of Christ, radiates out of our suffering. Christian suffering It's completely different from any other form of religious suffering. 
Many other religions have died for their faith. Christian martyrs are not alone in dying for their religious convictions. So what separates the Christian from the Muslim or the Hindu or the Buddhist? For the Christian who lives in Christ, your suffering makes you more like your God. Let me repeat that. In Christ, your suffering makes you more like your God. And when you suffer, when you endure persecutions and trials, when you endure suffering, you take on the nature of your Savior. And your suffering shows others more of Jesus. The call to receive the life of Christ is the call to carry the death of Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The sufferings of Christ and the vitality of Christ are intrinsically tied. Our bodies, the pain that we endure, the suffering, the trials that we experience are dioramas of the pains and the life of Christ. Verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So why do they give themselves over to death? They do it for Jesus' sake. If you are a Christian, you suffer for something. You suffer for Jesus. You suffer for his glory. Because when you do, Christ's life is displayed. Paul and company are not enduring persecution for its own sake. You aren't merely enduring persecution to detach yourself from the world. You aren't merely enduring persecution because it helps you build character. You are enduring persecution for Christ's glory. Do you want to see the life of Christ? Do you desire to see the glory of God? Do you desire to display Jesus to others? Then you must suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You must endure trials to display Christ. There's no example of the godly life who does not endure suffering. Verse 12. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. Your death in Christ gives life to others. Now, who are these others? In verses 1 to 6 that we read earlier, the glory of God is shown into the world, but the world can't see it. They have blinders on. They can't see the glory of God. So to whom does our suffering give life to? 
gives life to the church. Your trials, your suffering, your death gives life to your brothers and sisters in Christ. See, enduring suffering is not merely a private matter. It's actually a means by which Christ gives life to his people. So I'm 22. I haven't suffered much. I'm a novice when it comes to the sufferings of this life. And the little that I've suffered, I hope that I've suffered well, but there have been times I have not suffered so well. But watching you, brothers and sisters, for the past three years, suffer well has been an immense source of life and encouragement to my soul. So I'd like to thank you and encourage you to suffer well. And as you do, you're going to give life to me, going to give life to the brothers and sisters in Christ around you. This means that you should share your suffering with others. Suffering isn't merely a private matter. You don't put on a happy mask when you walk into the church building Sunday morning. Your suffering is actually a service, an act of love to the brothers and sisters in Christ around you. That as you endure pains, as you endure suffering, you actually emanate the life of Christ to others. And the church, as you pray for one another, as you cry together, as you endure together, you emanate the life of Christ. You show the glory of God. And this goes beyond just this local church. This also means that we rejoice and we experience the life of Christ when we hear of the persecuted around the world. When we hear stories of the faithful brother in Japan or Asia Bibi or plenty of other persecuted Christians around the world, we receive life. Which is why we pray for the persecuted in our evening services. I would encourage you, persecution.com. Go, read stories of Christians that are standing firm in the faith, in the midst of insurmountable opposition, and be encouraged. Receive life into your soul. And attend the evening service as we hear stories of faithful Christians today, weekly, suffering for Christ. And let's pray for them together. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul is quoting Psalm 116, so let's keep our finger in 2 Corinthians and then turn back in our Bibles to Psalm 116 to see what Paul is referencing. Psalm 116, we're going to be looking at verse 5 to 11. Psalm 116. It says this, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. I was helpless, and he saved me. 
Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I said, I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. This is a psalm of deliverance. Talking about how God saved the psalmist in the midst of intense trials and opposition. Now notice where the confidence of this psalmist is grounded. The psalmist's confidence is not found in the goodness of his circumstances. He's not saying, I believed when I spoke because things were good around me. His confidence is grounded in the God who put him in that particular circumstance. He's in the midst of suffering. But because he knows that God is good, he's able to believe when he speaks. Another thing to notice here is that he says in the midst of his belief that the words that he spoke because he believed was... I am severely oppressed. I am severely oppressed. I trust you, Jesus. This really sucks. I am severely oppressed right now. The solution to suffering is not to belittle it or to ignore it. When we proclaim victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, It doesn't mean that there aren't moments of hardship. You can trust God's redemption while being honest about your circumstances. That means that you don't have to mask it in Christianese. You don't have to say, the Lord is trying to show me his goodness in this. That's true. I don't want to undermine that. You can believe those things and still say that you are being severely oppressed. That things are not good. That things don't feel good. And you can still trust God's redemption while being honest about your circumstances. Faith does not mean blindness to difficulty. Faith acknowledges the depth of pain and trusts God to redeem it. How are we delivered from this deep pain? Not by solely the removal of a trial, but from the redemption of the one who endured trials. That's why we believe. Because we believe the gospel. If you're not a Christian, this is the good news for you this morning. If you don't listen to anything else in the sermon, this would be the 60 seconds to listen to That God was holy and just. He created the world and he created it to be good. And we rebelled against him in our disobedience. And though we deserve to be crushed and abandoned and left in our despair, God didn't leave us. He sent his son Christ, Jesus. And Jesus was afflicted for our sake. And he cried out in despair to the Lord. 
He was abandoned by God on the cross while bearing our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. And when he rose victorious over sin and death, we found the grounds for our confidence in the face of insurmountable difficulty. I mean, hasn't God been faithful to us? Hasn't he been good to us in Christ? If you're not a Christian, I would plead with you this morning to believe in this Christ. You don't have to endure the death of this world on your own. Receive the free gift of God. So what do we do as Christians? We believe, not just for belief's sake, Not just for being a good Christian's sake, but because we've been delivered. Past tense. We've been delivered on the grounds of what Christ has done for us. So, we believe in a deliverance from the past, which gives us confidence to speak in the present as we look eagerly towards the future. I'm going to say that again. We believe in a deliverance from the past, which gives us confidence to speak in the present as we look eagerly towards the future. Verse 14. Turn back with me, 2 Corinthians 14. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Paul speaking in the first person here. He himself was enduring affliction while writing this letter. He was being persecuted. And Paul knows with confidence that God will deliver them from their present affliction. He's confident that God will deliver them. And where is his confidence rooted in this verse? In the one who raised the Lord Jesus and will also raise us. His confidence is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope that Christ in power is resurrected as we will be when he comes. In Adam, everyone dies. And in Christ, we live. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find our confidence. Christian, continue to trust this Jesus. Hold on to him as he holds on to you. And Bethany Baptist Church, we hold on to Jesus together. This isn't an isolated thing. Does not happen in your rooms alone? In your car alone? Your homes alone? We hold on to Jesus together. That's why we're here for each other. That's why we agreed to the church covenant. We're here for each other. For better or for worse. For rich or for poor. We are covenanted to one another. We are intrinsically tied to one another. So we suffer together as well. That was the second point. Because your suffering displays the power of Christ. Here's a third reason. Or a third truth. Because suffering is for your benefit. Because suffering is for your benefit. Let's look at verse 15. 
Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that, as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to the increase of the, to the glory of God. Everything is for your benefit. Suffering is for your benefit. Persecution is for your good. The afflictions and sufferings, the hardships, the tears are for your good. Now how is it for your benefit? Because as you suffer, you share in Christ's death. And as you stand firm, in the midst of unspeakable pain, you show the glories of Christ. You show the life of Christ. And as you radiate the life of Christ, that grace of Christ extends to more people. That, that life, that glory, emanates out of you. And it causes more people to give thanksgiving to God. Your suffering can be the cause of other people's worship. That as they see you suffering and holding on to Jesus, they see just how valuable Christ is to you. Is he worthy in the midst of unspeakable trials? Yes, he is. And you say that as you endure. But how is this to your benefit? How is it good for you? Great for everyone else. How is this good for me? Because as you suffer, you get to taste and see more of God's goodness. You get to see more of his glory. I mean, if you're suffering this much, and you're enduring this much trial, and you have hope, how much greater was the suffering of Christ? How good was God to you? How gracious was God to you? The bitterness of your suffering reveals the bitterness of the sufferings of Jesus. It shows the sweetness of his goodness to you. And as you delight in the glories of this Christ, as you taste and see that he's good, God is glorified. God is glorified. The faithful suffering of Christians abounds to the glory of God. Verse 16. Therefore, given all this, given the clay jars, given not being destroyed, given the life that we display in the midst of our persecutions, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. The sight of God's glory gives context to our endurance. They can strike your body. They can harm your outer self. They can try to destroy you with all the arrows and weapons of this world, but your inner self is fortified. By the Spirit of Christ, day by day. And praise God, it's day by 
day because we need him daily. Because the attacks on our spirit, the attempts to crush us, the attempts to despair us are daily. But he's good to us every day. His mercies are new every morning. Thank God for that. Verse 17. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And these deepest scars, the greatest wounds, the damage of the world's arsenals of weapons are like a paper cut compared to the immeasurable glory of God. In fact, out of this small temporary cut emerges an eternal, everlasting, immeasurable glory. That's why we endure and rejoice in the midst of suffering. Because of the impending reward of grace. Christians are not masochists. We are not interested in suffering for suffering's sake. Pithy statements like, death makes life more precious, are useless for the Christian. We're not trying to detach ourselves from pleasure. We actually believe that these temporary afflictions that we endure produce for us an eternal weight of glory. If you are suffering right now, God has a reward prepared for you. He has treasures in store for you. There is goodness to come. So we don't suffer for suffering's sake. We are suffering on the promise of future grace. A future goodness. We are suffering for the sake of coming joy. That the pain that we feel right now will give us immeasurable happiness. When we see God in glory. Verse 18. So, because of that, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is why we focus on the unseen. To see reality, we actually have to transcend the physical. We have to transcend the obvious. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore the present circumstances. Focusing on what is unseen does not mean that you ignore what's seen. You believe that's why you speak, right? That I am severely oppressed. So how do you say that you're severely oppressed without focusing on what is seen? How do you focus on what is unseen while still recognizing the legitimate harms, the legitimate pains of our trials? The solution is not to be blind to the present affliction. To be sitting in a room that's on fire and just pretend that it's not there. But what you do is you look through it. You look through it. Even though you're going through immeasurable pain and tears and hardship, that you can see the goodness of God behind it. Even though you might not see the direct connections now, 
even though you might not feel it now, you are trying, you are struggling, you are enduring to look past the present affliction, to see through it, to see the goodness of God in it. That you go deeper into your hardships and suffering and you arise in the majesty of God. You look through your suffering to see the coming reward. Suffering isn't the goal. Suffering isn't the aim. We're not aspiring to suffer. Glory's the goal. Glory is the aim. And glory is given to us through our trials. This means that we struggle now. We, we, we try now. We wrestle now to try to see the goodness of God in our circumstances. But I have a good word for you, brothers and sisters. That pain is temporary. It's not forever. Your hardships have a time limit. And they will come to an end. They will expire. We will endure persecution. We will endure suffering. But the kingdom that Christ establishes is everlasting. It will never end. And we get to partake in it. And when we stand in glory, and we see the radiant magnificence of God with our own eyes, we will not only understand our trials, but we'll thank God for them. That the storms will be the better. That that the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. For the hardships that we endure. That every tear that you cry will produce for you joy. Will produce for you happiness. Look forward to that. George Mueller wrote this after losing his second wife. He wrote this in his diary. It pleased God to take to himself my beloved wife after he had left her to me 23 years and six weeks. By the grace of God, I am not merely perfectly satisfied with this dispensation, but I kiss the hand which administered the stroke. And I look again for the fulfillment of that word in this instance, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Brothers and sisters, kiss the good hand of God. Hold on. Trust the goodness of God and look forward for that fulfillment.